God, we just uh, sang, let all that hath life and breath come sing his praises again. So, Lord, everybody in this uh, room qualifies, and uh, you are calling us to give you praise, to give you glory that is due your great name. We pray, Lord, that we would not disappoint, that we would give all that we have to all that we know you are. And, uh, Lord, we want to worship you in spirit and in truth today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, as you uh, grab a seat, be sure and grab one of these uh, connection cards, blue connection cards in the pew back there in front of you, especially if you're maybe with us for the first or second time. We would love to know who you are and how we can minister to you, and so you can uh, make a comment there or ask a question, and uh, and we'll be happy to get information to you. There are also prayer request cards, and so we'll be faithful to pray for those. And then an extra card today uh, that you don't have in front of you, but you can find it out there in the uh, uh, Connection Center, and we've been through most of the Sunday school classes in the last couple of weeks, and this uh, Bethlehem uh, commitment card. Yes, it is in uh, Christmas time, and yes, it's 102 outside, so why are we doing this now? Well, because it takes uh, uh, almost 400 people to pull this off, the, pretty much the whole church, and so we need your commitment uh, early. So if you can uh, make your commitment, there's a little QR code on the, on the back of these cards, and you can scan that, and it'll tell you every, all the various needs that we have, and you can fill that in and then hit submit, and, and we'll, we'll know how you, can, how you can serve. So please do that by the end of summer, the end of, uh, of August, and that will help us out a great deal on seeing who can serve in Bethlehem. If you need to know more about Bethlehem, just call me. be happy to talk to you about it, all right? All right, well, we're going to be uh, diving into one of the most beloved psalms uh, in Scripture, Psalm 23 today. So I've chosen some, uh, some hymns, some great old hymns that uh, share the imagery of, of God being our Savior, being our shepherd, being our guide, being our protector, okay? And you'll recognize many of these great hymns. Let's sing together. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us, Lord, we need thy tender care. If thy pleasant pastures be Thank you. 
the Lord being our shepherd is not just found in Psalm. It's throughout Scripture. In the New Testament, in Revelation 17 or 717, it says, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's continue to sing about the great shepherd. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask this time? Can I doubt His tender mercy, but through life has been my guide? Every need divine is comfort, hear my As we give uh, tithes and offerings today, that it would be pleasing in your sight. We pray that it would truly be an act of worship on our behalf and uh, show forth uh, how much we trust you, how much we uh, believe in your provision. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
God we can trust. As we go 
into Psalm 23 today, the last passage, last uh, verse, reminds us that what? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And we will sing that in this song. Uh, It says, can't find it, there it is. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. As we sing this, just put uh, Psalm 23 in your mind and have a picture of how the Good Shepherd loves you so deeply that he is doing all he can to pursue you with his love, with his compassion, with his care. Just have that picture in your mind as we sing today. Now I give 
time with the Lord, thanking Him for His goodness, His mercies that are new every morning, His goodness that pursues us. God, give us ears to hear, eyes to see the rich truth of Psalm 23 today. And it's in Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Pretty sure that if I polled you, polled this congregation, and asked you what is your favorite psalm, I think many of you would probably say it would be the 23rd Psalm. Maybe not, not after I've preached a few of them. You may say, well, I love Psalm 1, 2, 3, 8, 16, because we've preached them. But I think uh, we have to admit that Psalm 23 is the most quoted chapter, perhaps, of all time from the Word of God. Now, that's saying a lot, isn't it? Because we have a lot of scriptures, but uh, at the deathbed, at the graveside, in funeral services, and living life, because I want to remind you that it is certainly a text of scripture that we read often at funerals, but it's also about living. It's about living. It is the fact that out in the pasture of this world, and out in this world as belonging to the Lord as one of his sheep, he is and has and will forever take care of you. 
but he's also going to take you home to be with him. So it's about both, and I think it's important for you to see Psalm 23 like that. James Hamilton does a good job pointing that out. It's really just two divisions. Uh, I have three in the sermon, but there's really just two. It's out in the pasture, it's out in the field, and then it's taken home to be with the Lord. It's to enter his house, and we are so blessed. If you have time, you can go back and read, uh, go back and listen to uh, the sermons that I preached on John 9 and 10 during the COVID pandemic. Uh, it's about our good shepherd. And I think it would help you to grasp all that's in here. There's no way in one sermon I can give you everything in Psalm 23. As a matter of fact, we could probably preach Psalm 23 uh, for 10 weeks. There's no telling how much time. But I encourage you to do that because remember... That every time Jesus spoke, he spoke with the backdrop of the Old Testament. Every time he spoke, he spoke whereas we understand that uh, the Old Testament was the shadow, Jesus Christ is the substance. So every time he spoke, he spoke with the backdrop of the Old Testament. And that's no different when it comes to Psalm 23. J.P. Macbeth said Psalm 23 is the greatest poem ever written. And again, I think around this church, we have uh, begun to, or we've always thought highly of the Scripture. Amen? And we should. Uh, we should thank the Lord because all of it's God-breathed. But there's text of Scripture that you enter into and your thoughts are all of a sudden, wow, this is the holy of holies of Scripture. Right? And I think Psalm 23 would be one of them. Uh, I learned it. In the KJV, did you, how many of you learned it with the vows and uh, yea, though I walk? It's beautiful, Victorian language, and we think about it. I memorized Psalm 23 in the KJV years ago. And so let's read it. Let's give attention to the Word of God today. Again, this is a trilogy. It's part of a trilogy. Psalm 22 is about Christ. Psalm 24 is about Christ. Let me just remind you that Psalm 22 begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So in Psalm 22 is the suffering servant, Christ Jesus. Psalm 24, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. So that's the sovereign king psalm. We have the suffering servant, we have the sovereign king sandwiched in the middle, Psalm 23. It's a trilogy. We have the good shepherd. All of them, uh, we have that trilogy is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we go. It's a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Verse 4 has a pronoun shift. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Another pronoun shift. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me 
all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Three times in the Bible, the Lord Jesus directly described, is directly described as a shepherd. There's three of them, right? John 10, he, John 10, 11, he is the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. In Hebrews 13, 20, he is the great shepherd of the sheep who shed his blood to inaugurate and ratify the new and eternal covenant. And in 1 Peter 5, 4, he's the chief shepherd who provides for his faithful servants the crown of glory that does not fade away. This psalm has profound assurances for us. But here's the question this morning. Do you believe what it says? It's one thing to say, man, Psalm 23 is my favorite. But do you, this morning, right now, believe what it says? It's a beautiful monument to the grace of Almighty God. And I hope today, when you get to the end of this, you will believe it. First... We need to embrace the Lord as our shepherd. I see verse 1 as introductory. Uh, if you're looking at your outline, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So the call for us is to join David in being able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. If you remember the context of John 9, what did Jesus do? There was a man born blind. And though he could not see, God opened his eyes so that he could see. When you get to John 10, we're reminded that Jesus is the good shepherd who is the only one who has access and authority to open the gate into the sheepfold. Whereas the Pharisees are hirelings and they're not shepherding the people, nor did they ever shepherd them right. It's only Jesus himself that can be our shepherd. You have to embrace him because he's the only one that has authorization and access to get you through the sheepfold door so that you will be a child of God. He's the only one that can do that. So, in the introduction, he's establishing the shepherd image and the theme of trust. So I've worded this first sermon division as the need to embrace the Lord as your shepherd. James Boyce said, if ever a psalm could stand almost on a single line, it is this one. And the line, and the line it can stand on is the very first one. The Lord is my shepherd. You will recall that Abel was a shepherd, Abraham was a shepherd, Jacob was a shepherd. And the Lord said to Jacob, I'm going to lead you as a shepherd all the days of your life. And Moses was a shepherd in in Numbers 27. Moses says... Lord, who's going to shepherd the people after I'm gone, right? So there's the shepherd motif. Don't forget that David is also presented as the model king. I can't go back and preach Psalm 1, 2, 3, 8, and 16 for you all at one time. But remember, not only is the Lord Jesus Christ presented as our great, good, and chief shepherd, he's also the king. He's the king of glory. So David... Even though he was a shepherd by experience. You remember those stories? He was a shepherd boy. He was the last one to come forward. And he was the one that the Lord had put his favor upon. And David becomes a shepherd. But David also was the king. 
And David would have understood himself to be the shepherd of Israel. And he would have to acknowledge that the people would see him as their shepherd king. But in the first line of the psalm, Psalm 23, David acknowledges, and here's the Hebrew word, Yahweh is actually the real king. And the power behind the throne of David and all future kings. So our God Yahweh is the true king of Israel. This is personal for David. Yahweh, you relate to me as I relate to my flocks. Think about how personal, how emotional that has to be for David. This means that we are his sheep. And what comes with that? All the underpinnings that come along with it. What can we say about sheep? On one hand... To be a sheep is not too flattering. On the other hand, the description of us being sheep is totally true. Right? It is. So, we are defenseless. We are totally, if you're a sheep, you are totally dependent upon your shepherd. You are defenseless. You're weak. You're stubborn. You're often foolish. Man, a sheep will kill themselves at a drop of the hat and not think twice about it. What animal would you pick? If the Lord says, hey, you can be whatever animal you want to be. A lion, right? I mean, we don't have to worry about anybody coming after us, right? We are, the Bible says, the sheep of his pasture. I am your shepherd. I will take care of you. But at the same time, we all need to remember this morning that we're sheep, right? We have to acknowledge that. The sheep knows that he needs protection. He knows that he needs guidance. He knows that everything needs to be provided for him. Yet it goes deeper than that, doesn't it? We see the psalm, we see the imagery of a shepherd, but also this text has echoes of the Exodus. Y'all remember that story where God delivers his people out of Egypt and he tells them, I'm going to shepherd you as my people and I'm going to take you out of Egypt and I'm also going to shepherd you all the way to the promised land. Uh, Deuteronomy 8 is fascinating. Have you ever read that? It's got the verse... You do not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. We tend to look at the wilderness and think, you got what you deserve because you sinned. But it also says these 40 years God led you in the wilderness. This was the Lord. Why, why do you do this? Well, Deuteronomy 8 says, I led you these 40 years in the wilderness to see that you would obey, to humble you. To see if you would obey. So the Lord is actually leading them in the wilderness. And if you stop and consider this. How did he take care of them? He provided manna. And he also provided water. So he was doing for them what a shepherd does for his flock. So the people of Israel. And the psalmist. And the prophets. Recognized that Yahweh was their shepherd. So this one line is so personal. Yet it has massive historical overtones, and I can't go into all of it. But stop and think just for a moment, putting those two terms together. Lord and shepherd. Okay? Think about this for a moment. Lord and shepherd. Lord here is the name Yahweh. If you look at it in Psalm 23, it's in all caps. Let your eyes look at the text. The Lord. Why is it in all, why is it in all caps? Because that is the personal name of God. It is Yahweh. So where does that go back to? It goes back to Exodus 3.14. At the burning bush episode. Where 
The Lord says to Moses, I am that I am. So the great I am of Exodus 3.14, who is bound by neither time nor space, who is limited neither in power or knowledge, this one is my shepherd. Are y'all putting that together? Think with me for a moment. Don't miss the third person pronoun. To know that there is a shepherd out there does you no good. He has to be your shepherd. You have to put that third person pronoun in front of it. He is my shepherd. He must be mine. We don't need things this morning. We need someone. You need a shepherd. It's repeated. The word Yahweh is repeated 5,000 times, give or take a few in the Old Testament, and it means I am who I am. It is the revelation of God's name. It's a sign of his transcendence. It's a sign of the massive gulf between God's majesty and a sheep. It's a massive gulf between who God is and who we are. He is absolutely inexhaustible. It refers to the timelessness of God. It refers to his self-sufficiency. Folks, listen, our God needs nothing. He has all things in himself. He needs no power. He is all-powerful. He does not need to be worshipped. He does not need to be helped. He does not need to be served. He's not accountable to anyone. Our God is the same in these attributes yesterday, today, and forever. He will always have the same eternal traits. He will always have the same eternal attributes. He is unchangeable, and he's unchangeable forever. However, this name also is a sign of eminence. Think about this for a moment. The very God who is transcendent from you, that you cannot possibly come near to him, much like the Mount Sinai, right? If you brushed up beside it, you were dead on contact. This God has come down to us. This God that is so far above us in his majesty, in his eminence, he has come down to us. And that's what David says about this God. Even though you are so far away and so transcendent and so wholly other, yet you would love me in a personal way. That you would be eminently involved with my life. So, it's personal for David. It, he's invoking praise to God. Our God's name given to us. It's not a secret password that you can manipulate the cosmic powers or forces. Our God's name given to us is personal. It's actually a covenantal guarantee. That's the first line of Psalm 23. It brings together Lord and shepherd. And this will really blow your mind. The Lord of all eternity will stoop to serve his servants. That he would actually come down to serve us. The Son of God, the Son of Man did not come to be served. But to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So the great God of the universe, the very one who stood uh, there with Moses at the burning bush and said, Take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. This same God chose the vocation of being a shepherd for us. A shepherd's work was considered the lowest of all works. It's an unpleasant assignment. You live with dirty, smelly sheep 24 hours a day. Kind of reminds me of what pastors do, right? I want to remind you that 
there, is, there are overtones. I read this to our elders the other day, Psalm 23, and I said, we are shepherds after the order of Christ. And we are, because that's the terminology of what it means to be a pastor. But the care you would give to sheep was unending. Boyce said, day and night, summer and winter, in fair weather and foul weather, you labor to nourish, guide, protect the sheep. There are a couple of passages that speak of this. Uh, time will go away if I'm not careful. But Ezekiel, I, I want to tie this together for you. Again, embrace the Lord as your shepherd. Listen to Ezekiel 34. I will seek the lost, and I will bring them back, the strayed, and I will bind up the injured. You hear the metaphorical language? Of shepherd, I will bind them up injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy, and I will feed them in injustice. If you back up to verse 11, for thus says the Lord our God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. But when you get over to verse 22, listen, Ezekiel 34, I will rescue my flock, they shall no longer be prey, and I will judge between the sheep and the sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd. Are y'all listening? I will set up one shepherd, my servant David. Hey, I got a question for you. Ezekiel lived way after David. Was David going to be resurrected? No, who is the servant of David? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. Listen, and he will feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, and I have spoken. If you put this together with Micah, chapter 2, out of Bethlehem, there will come one who is the Ancient of Days, and he will shepherd his people. In other words, we're putting our focus on Yahweh's servant. He will reunite the scattered sheep. He'll actually, according to John 10, go after other sheep that are not yet in the fold. Please hear me. The Son of God came the first time to gather his sheep. That's why he came in the first advent. He came because the sheep were scattered and he came to get his sheep. Y'all listening? That's what the scripture is about. The Son of God coming down from heaven to gather scattered sheep. We're going to look at that at the end of the sermon. But, okay, embrace him as your shepherd. And then look what it says. I shall not want. Now, I think this has been misused. Uh, there are, the emphasis is, upon, is not upon whatever I want and desire, God has to give it to me. The emphasis, folks, is on the fact that you won't be in want and God will give you anything you are lacking that he thinks you need. Are you listening? That's really what's going on. He doesn't shepherd us by giving us everything we desire. Those who trust in Yahweh as, as sheep do a shepherd will never lack for whatever they need. The Lord God shepherded his people through the wilderness, meeting every single need they have. And again, remember, sheep lack everything. They have to have total dependence upon the shepherd. And he loved them and cared for them as a great and good shepherd. And they lacked nothing and if you're in Christ and you belong to him, you will never lack anything that you need from God. We are called here to embrace him 
as our own shepherd. Submit to him in his direction. Trust his direction for your life. Trust his purpose. Being confident that he will meet every need. He's the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. John 10, 11. He's the great shepherd of the sheep who actually came and shed his own blood to inaugurate the new covenant. And he's the chief shepherd who provides for the faithful servants and will give you the crown of glory one day that will never fade away. You need to embrace that shepherd. He's the only one, right? He's the only shepherd of the sheep. He's the only one that's the shepherd of our souls, the Bible says. He's the only one that can restore the soul. So that's the first thing I see in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Embrace him. I shall not want. He is, he's enough. He satisfies us. We'll never need anything else as long as we have the shepherd. Second, trust the Lord to provide everything you need. I'm going to pick up some steam here. How does Yahweh provide for his sheep? Well, let's be honest. He provides for sheep physically and he provides for sheep spiritually. I know the metaphors kind of overlap with you thinking about a pasture or a field scene versus you being humans, and I don't think you came out of the field this morning unless you were feeding your cows or your sheep if you have some. But he provides for those needs. He must lead us to where the food is good and the water is pure. So that's what we see in verse 2. There is the physical needs, but again, it's all colored by this emotion of spiritual needs being met as your physical needs are being met. Even as David describes the way that the Lord ensures that sheep have grass and water, it's clear that the Lord makes the sheep feel safe to lie down and rest. Notice how that's worded. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside refreshing waters. So, as he's describing it, think, describing it, think for a moment. For sheep out in the field, the, fear of, the fears of the sheep would be worry that a lion may eat you or the sun may scorch you with climate. But for the Lord's sheep of his pasture, the Lord actually brings mental stability. Can anybody take some of that? Refreshing waters, right? Uh, one commentator says it's really soul, S. O-U-L slash quiet. Only the Lord can do that for us. Don't you need sanity? Soul, quietness. Only the Lord can do that. Wilson points out that those who have visited the under, under undeveloped land of the Bible will think about how unusual this picture is. You just couldn't jump from water hole to water hole, right? We're hopefully going to Israel in March. I've never been there. I look so forward to it. Uh, my, the president of my seminary used to say, you've never completed your seminary until you go to Israel. So I'm 53, so hopefully I'll finish seminary uh, in March when we go off to Israel. But people who have been there understand that you had to have a, a migration, and you had to take those sheep a long way. By the way, this psalm is about a pilgrimage. Again, don't forget that. You're going from the field to the house. But water sources were few. Water sources were seasonal. It's almost like it is today in Missouri. We, had, we didn't have rain for a month. And everything was crusty, wasn't it? And then if it rained, it just ran off. And you didn't have water stand anywhere for long. 
So shepherds had to be ready to take their flocks on long migrations from one source of grazing and water to another. And this is describing abundant life for us. Jesus said, the thief comes not but to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly, to know that he's picked out the places. He knows how to take you from one watering hole to another. He knows how to take you from one nourishing meal to the next. I'm using this metaphorically to meet all the needs that you have. He addresses the Lord in the third person. It's the Lord who causes the sheep to lie down. Makes them approach waters of resting places. Leads them faithfully on the correct paths. So when we tie all this together, and we think about Deuteronomy 12, 9, where, again, he's telling them how he's led them. It appears that David is speaking of the way that God shepherds his people to a good land, right? To a land that he's promised them. We enjoy the goodness of his presence like we just sang. Isn't it unbelievable to think that the loving kindness of the Lord pursued us in such a way that we live in his goodness all of our days? And that's what this is speaking of. He makes me lie down with green pastures, abundant life, blessed life. He leads me beside still waters. So the shepherd knows what we need, doesn't he? Can't you trust him? He knows that a sheep needs grass and water. He knows what we need. He knows how to lead hungering, thirsty sheep to where they need to be. He also provides spiritual needs. The Bible says here, he restores my soul. Our shepherd restores our soul and conducts us along, as Hamilton says, I like this, the wagon tracks of righteousness for his name's sake. The path of righteousness. Psalm 19.8 says, the law of the Lord has integrity, restoring the soul. So my question this morning is, what is it that God uses to restore the soul? Speak to me. It's the Word of God. You understand, folks, that you don't have soul restoration without the Bible. There's no way that your soul can be continually restored without the Word of God. So, Psalm 19.8, the law of the Lord has integrity, restoring the soul. And it seems very clear that the restoration of the soul refers to the way that, all the way back to Psalm 1, he shall meditate on the word day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. So it's the word of the Lord that puts life in proper perspective. Did you wake up this morning with the proper perspective? Are y'all awake? I mean, does it just come naturally to us as sheep? No, folks. It's the word of God that helps you have the right perspective. It's the Word of God that helps you have a Godward look and perspective from His Word. His Word speaks to every challenge and every difficulty and every trial we have as His sheep being led out of a pasture or in the pasture. His words meet the needs of thirsty and hungering souls. Have you ever had a kid that wouldn't eat? I mean, you, you put the provision right in front of them. And yes, there's some green beans in there, kids, right? And there's corn on the cob. You know, when I was a little kid, I didn't appreciate that stuff. But man, that's the best stuff today, right? The squash, 
But that green stuff, the kids need it. And you put it in front of them, and they're silly. And they're misguided not to eat the things that they need the most. The Lord has given you all the provision you will ever need. You need to increase your appetite for the Word of God. You have to. You can't have this minimalistic, wimpy appetite when it comes to God's Word. You be robust! I got a cold. I don't want to hurt my throat. But, you know, listen. You got to have a robust appetite for the Word. Stop floundering around and thinking you can make it without it. You're a sheep. You're going to limp your way all the way home. And we probably all are. But the fact is we've got all kind of conditions that all can be provided for if we read the Word of God. That's what restores us. So, don't be silly. Don't be misguided thinking you can do it on your own or there's some some other uh, recipe or some other way to have this fulfilled in you. God's already told you. You can't do that apart from His Word. Amen? you got to have His Word. So, He provides the rest and the cleansing. What did Jesus say? You can't live by bread alone, but every word, here it is, that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. There's where He gives us the wisdom to face life. We've got to take it in. He's in the business of restoring souls. Now, some of us have done damage to our own bodies. We've done damage to our own psyche. We've done damage to our own lives, whatever that may be. There are church members in here that you feel like have done damage to you, and I wouldn't doubt it because sheep can be mean. Baptists can be some of the meanest people in the world. I want to remind you that you need to come home to the only one that can restore you. Right? Some of you, it's been a long time. You're, You're a believer, but you haven't been restored in a long time. And you've done enough damage to damage yourself. And I get it. You feel like others can damage you as well. But you need to come back to the only one who restores souls. Hear me. Jesus Christ is in the restoration of soul business. That's what he does. The world can't restore your soul. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Only Christ can do it. Some of you are limping along, and you need to be restored. Don't you love that term, lead you in the path of righteousness? Again, Hamilton notes that it's really wagon tracks of righteousness. In other words, God has these worn tracks and a path that is his path for us. It's wagon tracks of righteousness. And it speaks of a path worn into the land by the Lord's own wagon. He's leading us always in the right direction. His path is always better than your path. Are y'all listening? Now, this is an obvious part of the text, but it's often unappreciated. If you know what the Lord desires for you, it's always the best choice to do what God says to do. Young people... If you find yourself cast between two opinions and yours is different from the Lord's, guess who's better? Guess which one you ought to choose. If you say, my way or God's way, duh, right? We ought to choose his path. It's the path of righteousness. And it's always the best path. The word teaches us what is right. Teaches us how to think the right way. 
how to say the right thing, how to live the right way. The Lord leads us on this path. Check this out. How does he do it? For his name's sake. David knew full well that as he lived out the characteristics of Christ in his own life as a shepherd, that he was putting on display the glory of God's name. When's the last time you thought about that? The way you live your life is displaying the glory of Christ. He's leading you for his name's sake. He meets my needs, renews my life, leads me in the path, putting his reputation on the line. Psalm 106, 8 says, y'all listening? Give me ear. Here's what he says. He saved them for his name's sake. Why did he save them? For his name's sake. I didn't make that up. That's what the Bible says. He saved them for his name's sake that he might make his mighty power known. Do you understand that that's why God saved you? For his name's sake. Our God in his sovereignty is working all things to display his greatness, his glory, and his, and his unending joy that's a blessing to his people. And, and that's why you have to see that. When he's your shepherd, that's ultimately him blessing his people and glorifying his name. John Piper says, God is the beginning and God is the end of all my righteousness. The path of righteousness has his grace as its starting point. He led me into it and it has his glory as its destination because he's leading me for his name's sake. Should this bear any emphasis on the way you approach your life? Should it? Should it this morning bear any? Should it make an impact on your life? When you hear, he leads me through the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, should that change your prayer life? Should that affect the way you pray, your approach to life? Should we not say, Lord, use me? For your name's sake. We went off down to uh, Little Rock this week. The youth did. And we were doing world changers. And you said, well, well I'd, been, I'd, rather go to, I'd rather go to a camp and have fun. Well, that's fine too. But can God also not lead you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake and go work a little bit? Right? We, we, we see these things and we, we think about honoring Christ and we think about life, we bring it all together, should we not say, Lord, keep me from evil for your name's sake? Should we not say, Lord, make me like you for your name's sake? This is real life, isn't it? We have physical needs and the Lord provides everything we need, life and safety. Yet we also have spiritual needs. We desperately need our shepherd's presence and his direction. We need an overarching purpose for which to live. Here's your overarching purpose overarching purpose. He leads you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's the purpose you live for. Does that make sense? A sheep needs a reason for living. And what greater thing to live for than the glory of God? And that's what he calls us to do. Finally, believe the Lord's promise. So we need to embrace the Lord as our shepherd. We need to trust the Lord to provide everything you need, physically and spiritually. And third, believe the Lord's promise of his presence to shepherd you all the way home. Again, there's a shift in pronouns. He's taking you from the field to the house. 
in the course of the movement, uh, we move out of the pleasant, abundant places, and now there's feel fearful threat. Something's changed. He promises, however, protection and, and his presence in what we might call the shadowiest of all shadows. Why? Because it's superlative. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And a Hebrew of superlative is hard to translate. So they will say the shadow of death. The very valley low part of the shadow of death. In other words, you understand that this is the deepest shadow possible. And even though you're walking through that, understand up front that it's the Lord who took you there. I mean, we like to talk about life at ease at Zion. But then when we shift over to even though I walk through the battle of the shadow of death, we're like, whoa, the devil did that to me. Well, who's leading you? Who's taking care of you? Who's promised his presence and protection even through the valley of the shadow of death? People who have walked through the, I think I'm right on this, it's called the Wadi Kelt. People who have gone to Israel, and we may do this when we go there, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's, it's the way you go from Jerusalem to Jericho, and that's the picture we see here. Wilson says, you begin your journey following the rugged footpath on the opposite side of the canyon. You dip down with points to the bottom of the wadi and back to the other side. It took only about two such trips down the shadowy depths of the stifling heat and the wadi at the bottom. Scrambling back up to the top with limestone walls to regain the path before we were overcome with reluctance to the heights that you see and how difficult it is of the journey to walk along the rim of an aqueduct. He said, I cannot imagine how a shepherd would take sheep through there. And this is what this is referring to. What else do we add to that? If you've got the low ground and somebody's got the high ground, what happens? You're dead. And that's what he's referring to. These people would, would uh, murderers and thieves and enemies would take the high ground of these aqueducts and they would come down on those people and they could come down. Lions could come down, ambush the sheep. So we're reminded it's the Lord's presence that gives us peace in the midst of the most dangerous possible situations in life. The valley itself is dangerous. And then you add the possibility of being ambushed by enemies because they have the higher ground. Even in this type of extreme danger, the presence of our great shepherd drives away all fears. Right? That's what the text is saying. Here we are walking through the very valley of the shadow of death. Deep darkness. Deep valley. There are no green pastures here. There's no refreshing waters. Sounds like the ministry of a Baptist preacher sometimes, right? But it's also true of you in your own life. You don't sense the refreshing waters. You don't sense the green pastures. Yet David can say, I will fear no evil. Folks, when death is staring you in your face, you can walk with Christ without fear. The Lord has some tools to take care of us. I bought me a new tool bag when I went off down to uh, 
little rock because mine was old and hard and you, you got certain tools that you put in. For me, it was just, well, I need a tape and I need a hammer. We didn't really need it much when we got there, but I was going to take it. Why? You need tools for the trade. I'm telling you, a rod and a staff is all the Lord needs to take care of you. He's got the tools. He's got the tools to take care of you. And the Bible tells us what they are. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 8411 says, For the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. The rod is an instrument to protect us and provide safety. It guards us. The staff is an instrument to comfort and provide support. It guides us. The shepherd's rod and the staff discipline us, rescue us, protect us. He can guide us away from dangerous places, but he can also smush the head of a serpent at any moment because he's the Lord. I don't know what you want in the deepest valley of life, but I'll take the Lord. I'll take him anytime, right? His rod and his staff leads me. So the psalmist is encouraging us to join him in trusting Yahweh. The next picture is about vindication. You set before me a table in the presence of my enemies. Some people believe, some people believe that the, the sheep are now in the house and the table is set. Some people believe that the table is set out on the battlefield and the people of God have just won the victory. I don't know which one it is. But the Lord is no longer seen at this moment as a shepherd. He's actually a host. Right? He's the servant. Suffering servant is actually serving the servants. He's the trusting follower sits as an honored guest at his table in the midst of enemies. I don't know anywhere in the world this takes place except for Washington, D.C. Y'all didn't get that, did you? Where enemies have a meal together? Yeah. Well, the fact of the matter is, he, here is the Lord, even in the presence of enemies. This is what this is saying. The loving kindness of God is so specially upon your life. That intimate uh, love of God upon his people. That's such a special relationship that you can have communion with God even and he's displaying that divine blessing of security over you, even in the midst of enemies. That's awesome, isn't it? But that's what this text is saying. So, the literal rendering is, you make, the next part, is you make my head fat with oil. We need some fat heads around here, right? But that's the Hebrew word. You make my head fat with oil. And this is bringing all together the hospitality, where it was the normal uh, ancient Israelite custom to anoint someone's head with olive oil and spices. And for a sheep, this was a big deal. It's a big deal. Why? Because you need your skin protected. You need uh, to be cleared from infectious diseases. So, but what this means for you is that God is publicly acknowledging you as an honored guest, giving you uh, a ritual of hospitality, which included smoothness of skin, the, the fragrance of the perfume of friendship. That's what you have even in the midst of enemies. That's a special kind of favor from God even in the difficulties of life, even preparing a table for you in the presence of enemies. And then the Bible says my cup is full. 
What does that mean? It means the portion is fully satisfying for David, for David's life. Uh, in other words, if you have Christ, your cup is full. Jesus said uh, to the woman at the well, if you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. He's the portion. He's the cup. And again, don't forget the movement is from field to house. Psalm 23 portrays a life of a pilgrimage. And David says, on the pilgrimage, Yahweh's goodness and loving kindness are chasing after me. Giving me protection and provision. Listen, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Best translation is pursue. It is the literal Hebrew word that has to do with a predator going after his prey. He's pursuing. Folks, do you know how blessed you are to be a child of God, a sheep of his pasture, knowing that God is always continually pursuing you with goodness and loving kindness? Loving kindness is the covenantal love of God. It's a fellowship kind of love. It's an intimate kind of love. And he's pursuing you with it. I realize that, that the image you come to mind with when you think of Psalm 23 is usually a funeral service. And there's no doubt that it brings great comfort. But this is also about abundant life. I, I thought about this sitting on the front row. When I was 23, I didn't think as much about the goodness of God pursuing me. you got to live a little while to understand this particular text. Goodness and mercy pursuing me all the days of my life. You don't think about this when you're a 15-year-old. You should. So I'm reminding you to, right? His goodness and mercy are already pursuing you. But what about when you're 50? What about when you're 80 and you've walked with God that long? Folks, that's the mercy of God pursuing you all the days of your life. I got to spend a couple of hours with Brother David Miller in Heber Springs on my way back from Little Rock. What a special man. What a special time to sit with men of God who have been used. He's 78, and muscular atrophy has affected his lungs so much that he can't hardly speak anymore. Can't preach anymore. But surely goodness and mercy has followed him all the days of his life. What a blessing to think about the mercy of of God. He's always in hot pursuit of you with goodness and mercy. It's the goodness and mercy of God. It's his loving kindness that our great shepherd king is constantly running us down. Here's the deal. We can't outrun or outlast God. He's always pursuing us. We will soon enjoy his gracious presence and acceptance forever, right? Jesus said it. I'm going away but I'm going to prepare you a place that where I am you may be also. Aren't you thankful for those words? Psalm 23 begins and ends with the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Verse 6, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's called a chiastic structure. It begins with the Lord, it ends with the Lord, right? So if he is your shepherd, then you can trust his promise that he'll feed you, that he'll lead you, He'll protect you. He'll provide for you. And when he's finished on earth with you, he'll take you to his house. That's good news. That's good news. What a privilege to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Folks, to me, that's unimaginable. It's unimaginable to think about that. All right, conclusion. You'll remember that I read Ezekiel 34. I will establish one shepherd over them. Why do you need a shepherd this morning? 
Why do you need that shepherd? Let me show you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you all were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. All sheep have gone astray. Only Christ Jesus is the shepherd who can restore your soul. That's why you got to have him. And what do you need to pray today? I'm, I'm speaking to two different kinds of people. Those who are sheep and you know it and you're a follower of Christ. And there are those who don't understand. And you need to be like the man born blind in chapter 9 of the book of John where God gives you sight to see. And that's what you need to ask. God, give me eyes to see the shepherd that I need. I need my soul restored. I need my sin debt taken care of. And the text says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might live to righteousness. That's what the Lord God has done for us. And Brother David stole my thunder. But Revelation 7 reminds us that he will shepherd his sheep forever. Aren't you thankful? You need to embrace this morning the shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. You need to trust him to provide everything that you need. And you need to believe that at the end of the day, he's going to protect you. And he's going to take you all the way to his house. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so blessed uh, to, to be able to read Psalm 23. Lord, to think about what it means to have you as our shepherd. Life is difficult. Uh, there is certainly the pleasant, abundant times when we don't sense danger. But Lord, there's also times when it's dark. And Lord, I'm sure that there are people under the sound of my voice it's possible they're going through the darkest time of their lives. They need a shepherd. Lord, I pray they would seek you to restore them in their soul. Lord, that you would refresh them. Lord, that you would be a shepherd that provides everything for them. Lord, for the lost person, Lord, help them see that without a shepherd, they're lost. They're sheep without a shepherd, they're lost. Lord, may they turn to Jesus and trust him only as their good, great chief shepherd. The only one that restores souls is the Lord Jesus. May they trust him. For Christians, Lord, uh, help us uh, to walk in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Help us uh, to seek you, uh, your guidance, Lord, your protection in life. You're all we need. Lord, you're everything we need. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Brother Dave is going to lead us in the hymn of invitation. Let's stand and sing what our shepherd has done for us. For my life, he bled and died. For my life, he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. We will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life. He will hold me fast till our faith is.
turn to sight when he comes at last. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Those he saves are his Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost, his promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. He will hold for my life he bled and died for my life he bled and died Christ will hold me fast justice has been satisfied he will hold me fast raised with him to endless life he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he at last he will hold me fast he will hold me fast for my Savior loves me so he will hold me fast he will hold he will hold me fast he will hold me fast for my Savior loves me so bow for prayer for those who are still in the midst of making decisions today. Thank you for praying and being respectful while people were still praying and seeking the Lord. Uh, just want to commend our youth. I mean, you guys are troopers, right? It was hot in Little Rock. It's hot down there. It feels like the South, right? <laughs> like Alabama and Georgia, but through 100-degree weather, they worked hard. On uh, Monday, uh, I would have said that Abby Beats and Cameron Mayfield would outwork any men. Uh, they, there was a couple of college boys with us. I was like, you guys 
after the first day, you failed. But they did better after that. Second day, they, were, they stepped up. They don't go to church here, so maybe they won't listen to this sermon, but they were good boys. They were, but they just didn't work as hard as the girls the first day. Uh, but all of our teams had different projects, different homes that they worked on, and it was not easy. It was tough work, and I just commend them for their attitude and working hard. Got a good group of kids here. We need to be thankful to the Lord for them. Amen. Need to invest. Need to invest in our kids. And if you get an opportunity to go work with them, do it, right? Uh, next Sunday, uh, Dr. Tom Askell will be preaching. Uh, during, the, during Sunday school, I'm asking all adults and kids to come in. And he's actually going to teach for Sunday school on the pleasure and blessing and privilege of having kids in gathered worship. Having your children in worship. I think that's going to be really good for us to hear. And then he'll preach out of Proverbs at the morning hour for worship. And he'll preach again Sunday night out of Psalm, at tw- Psalm 85. So I guess I have to skip Psalm 85 with Tom Askell preaching it. But he's going to talk about revival on Sunday night. Make a commitment next Sunday that you're going to be here for every service. All right? You will be blessed. Please come next Sunday uh, for Sunday school morning worship, and evening worship, all right? Just look forward to having him here. Uh, He actually had his uh, anniversary. Uh, He actually was married and had his honeymoon in Branson. So he's coming back through to preach here about the time that he and his wife were married. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? And so look forward to having him here. Okay, Brother David, we miss anything? You did really good on your contacts, helping us grab those VBS visitors who didn't have church homes and uh, a lot of people are interested in finding a church home nowadays. And so thank you for following up on those. Uh, no service tonight. God bless you and have a wonderful day.